Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new edition of geek to me Radio. Tonight we are joined live by Jim Oosley in studio, but first up, we've got an interview with actor Tracy Birdsall talking about a brand new Netflix series she'll be in called I Think You Should Leave. All that and more, stand by. St. Louis area tonight hearing us on the big 550 KTRS. Thank you very much for tuning in tonight. If you are seeing this on video, you're watching us on YouTube or you're watching us on Facebook or Twitch or now Instagram because Joey's just said that up because I feel bad now that I said, do we have Instagram? And he's like, yeah, we do. And he's setting it up. So now I feel like a jerk. So thank you for watching on Instagram as well. And for those of you who are hearing us after the fact out there in the world of the podcast forums, wherever you may get your podcast from, Thank you all of you for tuning in and listening and subscribing each week. We really do appreciate it. Uh, two guests this week. So I was able to talk to actor Tracy Birdsall at the kind of a last minute. We had to kind of reschedule it, the uh, interview time and everything like that. But I want to go ahead and ear that interview this week because if you know or not, it's a new Netflix series. Season two is coming out. or it's, I'm sorry, it's out. Um, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson. And she's in this. She's done a lot of other projects, too. We got to talk all about all of our different projects and everything like that. So we're going to play that interview first, and then later we'll have Jim Oosley in studio talking about a brand new Kickstarter. But first, here's Tracy Birdsall. Right now we're chatting with actor Tracy Birdsall about I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson, uh, along with other aspects of her career as well. Tracy, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you. Thanks for the time today. A uh, lot of cool things to talk about. Your your IMDb resume, I always I, you're probably like, I guess, the 12th, person who's done the soap operas which i've always heard from every single person that that's one of the most intensive things you can do as an actor is you got to get the lines memorized very quickly you shoot very quickly so talk a little bit if you would starting your career uh more or less on soap operas with like loving and then revisiting with young and the restless you know soap operas really uh it's intensive work and there's a lot less that goes on in the creativity portion of the preparation and a lot more effort that goes into the verbatim memorization and continuing a character line more so than, than giving it the big arcs. The arcs are all put in by the writers. And so I always tell people, it's like, you know, I, I dabbled for a few years in soap and I really enjoyed it, but it's a good training ground. And it's a really good job for people who want to be an actor, but they don't want to work the ridiculous hours that we have to work when we're doing, you know, big films and stuff like that. So if you just want a consistent working job and make a paycheck and you can get on the soap opera, then for a lot of people, that's a really good thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, like you said, the commitment to like a movie when you're committing three months of your life to it or uh, even an ongoing TV series that like a 22 series episodic is quite a bit uh, different type of work than doing like a soap opera. When you take on a film role or a television role that goes on for a long time, like I just finished wrapping one that took about five years in production on and off. It really every everything else has to be put aside and you're still making the same amount of money. So say that you're putting you know, a thousand hours into it over a couple of years, instead of on a lot of projects, you'd put 10 or 15 hours into it if you had a day roll or something like that. So it's a huge commitment for whatever the negotiated amount of money is that you negotiated at the beginning. And you can never cut it short just because it's taking longer. And I look back over your IMDb page. It looks like, if I'm not mistaken, sometimes IMDb gets it wrong. Your very first acting role professionally was on Family Ties. Is that correct? Yeah, that was my first studio role. I did uh, quite a few national television commercials before that, but that was my first time in a studio, yeah. And that's one of those beloved family sitcoms. If you could just talk a little bit, just for a second or two, about uh, your your time on Family Ties. Well, it was it was kind of nerve-wracking because growing up and going through training and classes and things like that, everybody had their nightmare stories about showing up on the first time on a studio set. And some of the studio sets, they kind of, you know, the, the kind of, diss you a little bit you're just there for a little bit you're not part of the family and so I I was nervous and I had my guard up and I was really young and and so I remember kind of showing up and you know they'd all worked together for so long I was only there for a couple days and it was exactly the opposite of what I expected they were super warm and inviting and friendly and so it was a really fantastic experience probably the first and last time I ever got really nervous and then moving all the way fast forward now with working on something like I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson, it, it's uh, comedy is such a freeing thing, especially we all need to laugh more than ever now, especially in the past year or so that we've had to experience. So exactly. It's got to be so much fun working on a project like this. Especially during a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, you really hit the, the nail on the head with that one <laughs> because I auditioned for this at the beginning of the pandemic and then we actually filmed, you know, a good eight, nine months into it. So every protocol was in place. But what an exciting and joyful thing to do when you've been, you know, dealing with masks and not going outside. And, you know, it was just really, it was really quite a kick. I really enjoyed it. And it was fun to work with, you know, such a, a genius group of comedians. And so I had a lot of respect. I love comedy anyway. I try to do it every few years and, and really kind of keep my eyes open for it because it is, as you say, it's, it makes you laugh. It's a joy. It's, it makes other people laugh. And there's a lot to be said for that. And with this being a Netflix, I know a lot of people talking about the streaming services like Netflix and things like that. Um, a lot of actors and actresses find themselves more wanting to do that because as we kind of mentioned at the beginning, it's less of a time commitment. A lot of these series, especially if you're just there for the for one episode or so, but even if you're doing the whole series, it's you know maybe six to ten episodes versus a 22-episode episodic on network TV. Uh, how did you find it working on a streaming service type of show versus like a network show? You know, it had exactly the same feeling to me. I mean, the studio wasn't on one of the studio lots. The studio was just as well set up and the same amount of effort had gone into planning the, you know, the production design and all of those things. They all the all the boxes are there to be checked and all of them were checked on time. They were they were, they were like clockwork. So it really wasn't that different. And then when you get brought in to do, you know, either a guest star role, which is what I did. But anytime you do a guest star role, too, the pressure's on because you got to 
try and do exactly what they want from you so that you can do the recurring guest star role. Mm. And so it's like everything has a pressure on it that you have to be aware of. And there's no shortcuts. Like you can't be like, oh, I only need to put a day or three days into this. You have to be like, okay, I got to treat this like I am a regular so that I'll get brought back. So that's the only other way you really get brought back. And with a really good comedy show, sometimes it's often hard to tell. You kind of find yourself wondering, is that perfectly scripted or did they allow for improv when they're doing this? Uh, can you kind of talk a little bit about how that was working on, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson. You know, it's really funny. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question because I went through, you know, the audition and then I had to find my audition all those months later to see what I'd done because you got, I, you got to know exactly what it is that you brought to the table. So you know what they expect of you. And so I found my old audition and I watched it a few times. And then I, of course, had watched the whole show over and over. But part of that's just because I think it's hilarious. And then you show up and, uh, you know, of course, as actors, you have to take risks here and there. So you kind of play it around. But if you watch what I did in that final take of that final episode that finally made it to the air, it is almost exactly what the audition tape was. Really? And that's how important your audition. Oh. If you can watch them right next to each other, it's just so <laughs> funny. Huh. Yeah, because, it, and I and I did go along with the wave, and I did push it here and there, even with expressions, you know, little things, because you have to stay in character and stay in your box. And, um, but no, it's almost identical hmm. to the audition tape. Yeah. And you've done a lot of various work, action, comedy, drama. Do you have like one field or one, I don't want to, not that I'm trying to pigeonhole you, but a, a genre which you feel most comfortable? You know, I feel comfortable in all of them, but what you said about not trying to pigeonhole me is exactly what I've spent my whole career trying not to do. I want to stay a working actor. I do not want to get pigeonholed. Yeah. That said, my inner tomboy, little child girl loves doing action sci-fi. I mean, I was a huge sci-fi nerd growing up. So for me, that's like, you know, kid in a candy store. Yeah. But comedy goes all the way back in my roots too. And I trained for comedy really as soon as I branched out on my own outside of school, where I first studied was, you know, ground lanes and all the stages and everything, because I love comedy. I love making people laugh and I'm a bit of a goofball. So, um, but so I, I'd have to go between the two, between comedy and action sci-fi. But in my action sci-fi, I always go out of my way to make sure that she has a nice dramatic arc too, because the character is really what makes any of these fun yeah. is creating a character and living it and being different than yourself and just kind of creating all the little nicks and ticks and everything that they do. I mean, that's, that's the real joy in creating a character. Most certainly. And also talking about that mm -hmm. too, you've got four projects, four in post-production, the time war evolution war at the edge of time, age of darkness, which sounds like uh, they're all kind of in that meaty sci-fi action type of uh, vein that you're talking about. They are. Um, the Time War and um, At the Edge of Time are, At the Edge of Time is kind of the special that goes along with the Time War. And that's a, that's a heavy duty, dark, deep, twisted um, time travel. That's uh, Adolf Hitler traveling through time, trying to rewrite history because he has a messiah complex. So he's trying to rewrite his genetic code. And I play his daughter and his greatest nemesis. So that's a really deep project shot in well over a dozen countries over a wow. period of five years. Yeah. And then Age of Darkness is um, kind of a spinoff of Rogue Warrior Robot Fighter. So it's the continuation of that. And then it also has some backstory to it. 
And each each one of those sounds like it could be the title of a Doctor Who episode too, which is fantastic. The time. Oh my god, I love Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> well, not, well, since you said that, now I got to ask, who's your favorite Doctor? Oh gosh, because I've watched all the way back to the beginning. My my my, what's his name? David. Uh, David Tennant. What's his last name? Yeah, David Tennant is probably my favorite. Um, I, I liked I liked when the the most recent the girl, but it just for me I kind of lost my. Like, I didn't go, oh, I got to watch Doctor Who now. You know, so it isn't that she didn't do a brilliant job. It's in some way I'm sexist in the way that I got used to watching that show because it goes <laughs> so far back in our minds. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's just like a really funny thing. Yeah. Yeah. And again, sometimes the writing, like I, I if, if people, because I've talked to people who aren't really keen on the new set, but you always get a new set of writers usually too. So again, I find it kind of hard to fault the actor as much as I'm like, well, maybe the writing wasn't quite there for some of these projects. Well, I, I mean, it definitely wasn't the actors, you know, that's, that's the thing, but maybe some of it was the toning and how the actors versus the director versus the writer and how all of that blend happened. you know, it just kind of lost, it lost its Doctor Who edge a little bit. That could be. They, maybe they need uh, Rogue Warrior to come in and uh, help them out. <laughs> I could fix them. <laughs> I think it's a crossover <laughs> waiting to happen in my mind. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> And, I love it. And with all the stuff you've got going on, all these projects, Forbin post-production, are those just because, again, COVID, I know, shot a lot of stuff down. Uh, it's kind of a delayed a lot of, we're still seeing now movies that are filmed and ready to go are being delayed even further. Um, was this Were these the projects you alluded to in the past where you dedicated five years of your life to this? Or some of them are just got done wrap filming and they're getting ready for release or a little bit of both? You know, it's a little bit of both because I think all the projects that I'd finished shooting when people know they have a little bit more time and we're all kind of stuck, you know, the post-production departments keep going, the companies find more money and they make it a little bit better. I have a project that I shot in Australia too called Hotel Underground and I know that they're completed, but I know that it slowed them down as far as their release too. Mm. So I actually have five projects coming out that haven't been released yet. So I, I think it definitely caused a little bit of a stall, but I think that people are figuring out how to how to do it all virtually and i think that the finished products overall going to be better especially with special effects and things like that with yeah. with um sci-fi because you just have a little more time you know yeah absolutely and you talked about uh you know you like a wide variety of genres and you don't want to pigeonhole yourself when you when you get a script or when you're auditioning what draws you to a project that kind of makes you feel like i need to have this this part is me i want this part does is it something about the writing something about the way the character's written what is it that kind of makes you gravitate towards certain roles it's always the character the character arc and then the project overall so if i can read past you know the way i like to put it is i can be reading a script and i get to page 10 if i can put it down at that point or page 11 it's not usually a good sign, mm. but I have actually moved things like sat down to read 10 pages. Cause that's always my goal. Sat down to read 10 pages. And I do this a lot. And then sometimes I've had to move what I'm doing next because I just can't put it down. And that's usually the projects that I end up doing. I mean, I would say 98% of the projects I end up doing are the ones I can't put down once I start reading them. And then looking forward to other projects down the pipe, other things you might have on your horizons. If you had your druthers, name the top five actors you would love to work with on a project. Well, there's a lot of actors that I'd love to work with that keep saying they're going to retire, that they have retired. I'd say Daniel Day-Lewis is the, the top one in that just because, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've watched There Will Be Blood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
but I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, always the Meryl Streeps and things like that. Um, but then again, I'd like to go back and work with some of these Saturday Night Live actors again, like what I just worked with on I Think You Should Leave Now. Um, I mean, Tim Robinson would be a blast, and even though most people that isn't who they think of working with, I just think that that he's he's quite a kick as a human being. Um, some of the actors I've worked with before, Barry Corbin and I work really well on screen and I'd love, love to work with him again. I mean, even Tom Cruise, we're, we're similar ages and we're both keep going and doing action movies and I'll jump off a building. You know what I mean? It's just like <laughs> something like that would be really fun and different. So I, I'm, I, I have a million actors that I'd love to work with. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's anybody who, puts the same amount of effort and time and passion into it as I do, those are the fun people to work with. The people who are doing it all the time and it's all they do and they push everything else aside and they're trained and they bounce off of each other. I mean, to me, that's what, that's what draws me. So. And with uh, COVID having everyone locked down and all Netflix and streaming services being a saving grace with the sale of the binge shows, what were some of the stuff that you binged and you watched during uh, lockdown? Oh my gosh, I watched everything I could get my hands on. <laughs> um, I love Handmaid's Tale. I absolutely love Handmaid's mm-hmm. Tale. And I watched that. I even watched, uh, what's it called, Bonding, that has a second season. Um, lots of movies. The Tomorrow War, uh, just recently watched. Uh, Black Widow, just recently watched. Uh, Suicide Squad. Um, right now, I just started on Ted Lasso a few oh, nights ago. so good. And that's really fun. But I'm also re-watching The Big Bang Theory. I just love The Big Bang Theory. So it's like it's kind of a combination of everything. There are some shows like that you just you may have seen episodes twenty and thirty times, but you never get tired of going back and watching them. It's like comfort food. It is. And the Big Bang Theory, I just love it because it's also so intellectually stimulating and yeah. it's hilarious. Yeah, and it's and it's it's played at so many different levels. So so depending on where you're at in life. You, it's kind of like a Disney movie where it's played to both the adults and the children. Right. Where it has these different levels in it. So you're either going to pick up on it or you're not. And you're going to pick up things if you watch it again a couple of years later. So it's really quite a fun watch. I would agree. And again, I think you should leave yeah. with Tim Robinson on Netflix. Uh, keep your eye out for The Time War, Evolution War, At the Edge of Time, and Age of Darkness all coming soon from Tracy Birdsall. Where can people find you if they want to keep up with you? Website, social media handles, things like that. My website is tracybirdsoul.com, and it has all the social media links off of it and IMDb and stuff like that. That's, so that's probably the best place to start. Perfect. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes for this. Uh, this has been fantastic to talk with you. Tracy Birdsall, I appreciate your time so much today. Appreciate you, too. Thank you so much. Thanks to Tracy Birdsall for taking the time to talk about her new show. Uh, Make sure you check out all those. We'll put a link to her website in the show notes so you can keep up with her and see all those cool stuff that she's got doing because she, like she just said, four projects in post-production and one should be coming out very, very soon. We're going to take our first break. We're going to come right back and chat with Jim Oosley all about his brand new Kickstarter project, The Atonement Bell. Please stand by. Hi, this is Bobby Costanzo, and you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. Robert Costanzo with the City Slickers theme playing in the background. Want to take this time to remind you, Marcus Theaters is back. Marcus Theaters, the best place in the area, if not the continental United States, to see a film. If you want to go back out there and see a movie on the big screen, do it at a Marcus Theaters or a movie tavern location. They've got 
places all over between those two uh, different types of sets. You've got the Marcus Theaters or the Movie Tavern. Go to MarcusTheaters.com. You can find the location closest to you. You can even check out movie reviews, get your tickets right there on the website as well. Free Guy is out if you want to see an action-adventure kind of a comedy movie. Uh, you can also see Don't Breathe 2 if you're looking for something a little more suspenseful. And, of course, Respect is out, uh, the Aretha Franklin biopic uh, with uh, Jennifer Hudson starring in that one if you want a little bit more dramatic, a little bit more highbrow type of movie. Lots to see, and the best place to do it is at Marcus Theaters. Also, download the app, the Marcus Theaters app. And you can actually get your concessions on the app as well. So they're ready and waiting for you when you arrive for a more contactless experience. Also, I'm on their Instagram right now. For those of you who are watching on the video, free complimentary popcorn throughout the month of August. Now through August 31st uh, with the ticket purchase. You just go there and you, uh, if you're hopefully a Magic Rewards movie anyway, one of their rewards memberships, you get a free complimentary popcorn. So that's a great a perk to go see a movie at a Marcus Theaters or Movie Tavern location. Once again, the website, marcustheaters.com. As we always say, the best movie-going experience in the galaxy. Right now, in studio with me, we've got my friend. You've heard him on the air several times before because he's always got these fantastic projects he's working on. And a brand new one just dropped, what was it, this past Sunday? Uh, this past Tuesday, actually. Tuesday. We're on day six. Thank you. It's yeah. good to be here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I couldn't remember what date it was. So Tuesday. And Joey looked at the tabulation. You just came out on Tuesday, and you're already over halfway to your goal. We're at 53% right That's now. amazing. It's really, really great. Yeah. it's uh, Kickstarters are, they really, when you run them, they kind of take over your life. You know what I mean? Every day is spent promoting them and pushing them. Uh, but I, you know, when you have a project like the Atonement Bell, uh, the new horror series that I'm working on that it's for, um, it's it's very easy work because you just you want to get it out so badly to people. Yeah, and uh, yeah, over fifty three percent right now, and hopefully it'll keep going. So we've talked to you before, obviously about the Dead Palace, another horror anthology which I, I love, absolutely love. Well, cool, thank you. You had the Butcher Queen, which is a very sci fi thing. There was a Butcher Queen sequel to that. So now yep. talk a little bit about for people who might not be familiar with those uh, Atonement Bell. Yep. Talk a little bit about what it is they can expect. Yeah, the Atonement Bell is a uh, a horror series, a four-issue horror series, and it's about a grieving mother and son who are visiting family, estranged family, uh, in the city, and they uh, somehow become involved in a conflict between a coven and an inner-city church. And uh, I have to say that uh, I- I'm in love with the characters that I'm writing for this. There's uh, Our main protagonist is Jake. He's 14 years old. Uh, he comes into, into the city with his mother, uh, Kayla. Um, his cousin, Baby Al, and his friend, Sarah, a Bosnian girl whose parents own a grocery store uh, a few blocks away. And uh, it, it really combines all of my uh, favorite things. It combines horror. Um, it involves the importance of family and how far you would go to protect them. Uh, and it involves the relig- the uh, idea of religion and the impact it has on all those things. Um, and it's actually the first series I've ever done that takes place in St. Louis. Hmm. Um, and if you uh, live in St. Louis or you read about St. Louis, you know there's a lot of, you know, uh, divisive things and lots of uh, very stark contrasting opinions about things. And this series kind of uh, examines that to some extent. Uh, but you know, a lot of that is subtext, so you can enjoy it on. You know, I try to make things that you can enjoy on two levels. It, you know, there's always subtext there. There's always a desire to. The express, you know, the importance of empathy mm-hmm. in our lives, you know, because the world doesn't have a whole lot right now, it seems like. Yeah. And um, 
or you can just you know enjoy it as a cool horror story uh you know on that level as well so yeah i'm excited about it it's got witches it's got ghosts um it's got lots of bad intentions and uh it's got a lot of crazy stuff that happens and uh i i cannot wait for the first issue to come out and i mentioned earlier with uh, the Dead Palace was a horror anthology, so it was like little vignettes. Mm-hmm. This is actually a full-born story. Was there any, um, having set this in St. Louis, was that something you kind of played with and didn't include? Was this something you were kind of not holding back from putting in the Butcher Queen, but it's kind of like something you were kind of toying with even back then, or is this kind of a brand-new idea that's come to you since? Well, it's kind of a brand-new idea. I was working on, actually, a screenplay called The Angels of Warwick, and um I was happy with the screenplay, but it was kind of selfish uh, because it was something that only I would enjoy. It's kind of like a very slowly paced tone poem, almost okay. like a ghost story, you know, uh, like the original Woman in Black, the yeah. the British version, yeah. you know, kind of like that. And I, I said, ah, I don't know if I'm happy with this. So I went back to square one with it, and it kind of became a whole different story, uh, dramatically so. It's not even recognizable, really, as the mm. same as the same thing. And so... Um, you know, part of my thing with any any storyline that like serialized is I want to make sure that uh, I land the ending. And in horror, that's always really difficult. You know, there's a lot of horror movies and horror comics where it goes, it comes to the ending, and you're like, ah, man, you know. So I kind of uh, once they came up with the concept, I, I went to the ending and uh, defined what would be satisfying to me, and kind of wrote back. That's smart. Yeah, and I, it really worked out well for this, and uh, I'm really pleased with it so far. I'm working with a new artist, Raymond Estrada, mm-hmm. who's an artist out of Los Angeles. He's got a perfect style uh, for this kind of book, and uh, I think I've sent you some Yeah, uh, some yeah stuff. Well, you, I think Joey might actually be showing some of the, uh, during for those of you who are on the video, he's showing little uh, some of the art that you sent over. You know, Joey is so good to me. And he's so good to you. And I just want to deserve him. Either one of we, us. None of us do. Joey. I want to give him one of these. Yeah. I think he's fantastic. I agree. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> the in, in all seriousness, I always, I always tell people, I said, if it wasn't for Joey, I wouldn't still be doing this probably. Yeah. I, I, well, I know you. You're my friend. And I know Joey is probably the brains of the operation. Easily. Let's be <laughs> Easily. I, I would say I'm the talent, but that would only get me so Anyway, so let's, let's be honest. <laughs> But with with so if you're working with someone who's an artist in L.A. and I it, maybe he's not been to St. Louis. This is set in St. Louis. So are you sending him pictures? Are you kind of like describing like this has got to be this? So how does that work with him drawing what your mind is seeing? You knowing St. Louis, him maybe not so much. Well, I think with the the scripts, um, I'm trying to be even more descriptive mm-hmm. than I normally would, and I'm sending him like reference uh, shots of various places in St. Louis. Generally, how I think things should look, what the what the city aesthetic is like, in a way, um, and he does a lot of his own research. Also, I mean, he's a very proactive guy, and I think um, digital technology and the internet and everything else has made it quite easy to work with people, no matter where they live, you know. Yeah. And certainly during the the pandemic, Ben and I really didn't see each other once uh, during that whole process of that second Butcher Queen series. So. Um, that kind of, in a way, prepared me to work with with Raymond, and uh, it's been great so far. It's been very smooth, and every time he sends me a page, it's like Christmas. <laughs> a very evil Christmas, but it's like Christmas. Christmas with witches. Yeah. Witchmas, and we'll ghosts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I know the, your point about the internet, uh, Rick Burchett was uh, in the studio with us not too long oh, ago. Okay. But he's, you know, 
two-time Eisner Award-winning artist. Yeah, incredible. And he was saying back when he was doing stuff for like the Blackhawk series even, he would have to go to the library, check out all these books about World War II-style planes, kind of take them home, draw sure. them. Now, he's like, anything I need to know now, click the internet, and there you go. So yeah, you know, you it, it's that same that same thing. We're so spoiled to have all this information right at our hands, which obviously makes an artist's job easier as well. Oh, my God. How many times when we were kids did we hear... Go look it up. Right. You know, go get the dictionary. Go to the library, and now we can look at our phones. Right, and go find look it, it up. Okay, in seconds. There it is. You know, crazy. It is. It makes things a lot easier overall for everybody. Yeah. Um, we're talking with Jim Usley. If you'd like to call in, if you have a question about Kickstarter or something about his new project, one of his other projects, uh, you can feel free to shoot us a text on the KTRS text lines eight four one two six. You can also call the KTRS studio lines. 314-931-5877. No pressure, though. You can always just sit back and listen. We always say there's no need to call in. But if you'd like to ask Jim a question or uh, something about the St. Louis research he's done or whatnot, we're going to take our next commercial break, and we're going to come right back. We'll continue our chat with Jim Usley. so please stand by. Hi, everybody. This is James Masters with his sexy, fake British accent. You're listening to geek to me Radio. Welcome back to geek to me Radio. The show would not be possible without the support of my premier sponsor, which is, of course, the City of St. Charles, the Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you know them from the website discoverstcharles.com. They are gearing up rapidly for Legends and Lanterns. They just were doing photo shoots for the characters, for the uh, passport that's going to be out for all the people who come out to legends and lanterns if you're a halloween fan at all this has got to be an event you attend because you can interact with living history characters like abigail williams will be there and accuse you of witchcraft uh they'll be doing karaoke with phantom of the opera he'll have a karaoke machine set up uh you can talk to the weird sisters and learn some spells and things like that an all-ages event it's fun for the whole family it runs the last three weekends of october uh, we just got done celebrating Missouri's bicentennial. Happy 200th again, Missouri. And uh, they had a lot of events that were fun out there for that just two weeks ago. Lots of things always happening in St. Charles. And even, even if there's not something going on, even if you just want some good food uh, up and down south and North Main Street, you can literally just walk and say, I want something neat. And you'll find some restaurant that will satisfy you along that 10-block stretch or so because they've got Italian food. There's there's uh, homemade pastas and things like that. They've got the uh, salt and smoke right there in the 400 block, which is amazing. And, of course, I always recommend if you're looking for some unique cocktails, Tompkins House, which used to be the mother-in-law house, has great specialty cocktails. Their sommelier will blow you away. Uh, it's always a fun time, always something to be done, especially when the weather is nice like this. You can go out and bike ride the Katy Trail, take your dog for a walk, uh, go play Frisbee, just get outside, have some fun. A good time is had by all. Once again, the website, whether you're from local here in St. Louis or you're from out of town and want to plan a trip, discoverstcharles.com, discoverstcharles.com for an historically good time. We are talking with Jim Oosley this hour about the Atonement Bell, his brand new Kickstarter project. And before we took that break, we were talking about how the Internet's be able to quickly access pictures and Instagram, things yeah. like that for your artists. But as a writer, you obviously are here in St. Louis. What parts did you draw on that you already knew about? And then how much did you have to do extra research just to kind of make sure you had the certain touches down? Um, you know, I, I grew up in St. Louis. I actually, my family lived in the city until I was like uh, six or seven. We moved to the suburbs after that. But I, when I got older, I worked in the city. Um, I lived in the city for a while again. And obviously, um, you know, a lot has happened in St. Louis over the past uh, 10 or 15 years. And what was interesting 
that I found was that it was, you know, history repeats itself. Uh, everything seems to be an echo of what happened before. And so I, I read about things like, you know, the the riots in East St. Louis and things like that. And while they didn't have, things like that didn't have a direct impact on the story, they certainly informed um, the perspective of, of the story, you know. Um, it, it doesn't, uh, St. Louis, the thing I love about St. Louis is the potential. St. Louis always has potential. It's just fighting to get to that potential. You mean to get to that, you know, um, it seems like we're in a lot of cases, we're our own worst enemy, hmm. you know? And, uh, but I think the beautiful thing about the city is that there is always potential because we have everything we need here to, to be a great thriving city. Yeah. Um, but there's a, a few things that are just getting in the way. And a lot of that is people, um, understanding cultural differences, let's say. <laughs> and with with the the witch story and everything like that, when when you say it again, just looking at the art and everything, I immediately start thinking. Uh, my mind usually goes to at least 1930s, back maybe even witchcraft all the way out, you know, Salem witch trials. So, what what time period are we looking at for where the atonement bells set? Well, um, I can tell you, no one's asked me that question yet, so this is really cool. So, okay. um, the uh, the story actually begins in the 1800s, okay, and then it fast forwards to present time. And then it jumps back to uh, the early 1900s, briefly. Um, and it's a story about a, uh, a penance ritual that has been in place for, you know, centuries, for, you know, for decades and, you know, everything else. And uh, it's about how we continue to sort of um, propagate and, you know, uh, you know, keep our own, you know, misery going you know what i mean yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. uh it is about uh three young people who um decide really that enough is enough you know and uh they want to do something about it but uh they're gonna have a lot of trouble getting there and maybe they won't get there You'll have to wait and see. Okay. I can't tell you the whole story. I, I, I'm not no, going to ruin it for I you. I wouldn't ask. I was, I was actually, <laughs> as soon as I go off camera, we're going to talk about the ending, so I'll know ahead of time. But um, <laughs> it, it's kind of funny, too, the way you said you wrote that where you started with the ending and yeah. you kind of worked backwards because, uh, as you alluded to as well, there are some horror movies where you get all the way to the ending and it's like, uh, friend request. But some movies just aren't as good <laughs> right. as others. But, but you and that, I have seen movies like that right, together. Exactly. Yeah. But is that is that something you do with most of your stories, or is that just this particular one? You're like, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. Is it something you are trying out? Kind of not new, but is it what you thought you were going to do when you first started writing? Well, you know, when I did the first Butcher Queen series, that was actually my first serialized, uh, you know, story. Mm -hmm. You know, where it wasn't just a short story in an anthology or whatever. Um, I found that it was much easier for me to have the ending at least conceptualized, what I want to accomplish with it, you know, and I think with Butcher Queen, Planet of the Dead, the most recent Butcher Queen series, I really felt good about landing that ending, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, I usually start with where do I want this to end up? But with the Atonement Bell, it was really important for a lot of reasons to truly define what the ending was going to be down to what the last panel was going to be which I've never done before hmm. and uh, what I want to be seen in the last panel. And uh, it, it really has been very helpful. You know, usually when I, I start a project, I have an outline right. and I divide into how many issues it's going to be. And I have a really super detailed outline so that when I go to the script, actual scripting process, 
it it's more of a joyous journey of discovery because I had all the hard work and the roadmaps done. Now I can sort of go on that journey and follow the path and and explore things and have fun because I know where the main road is. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it makes sense. So that's that's really the the fun part of the whole process for me. And so you're not saying that the atonement bow is less fun because you already know where you're going to end up. It, it's not wasn't that this was less fun to create the story. It was just uh, you had you kind of had knew what your end point was. You know, I don't have to sit here and take this, James. I'm sorry. All right, Joey, <laughs> Joey, turn all the cameras off. We're done here. We're done here. Um, no, I uh, no. Actually, you know, I, this you know horror is my favorite genre for one thing. Yeah. And uh, I love comics, and to be able to work on a four-issue horror comic is such a bucket list item for me. It, it really is, uh, and I'm I'm genuinely having so much fun working on this. I mean, it's it's nice when you can create characters like Jake, Baby Allen, and, and Sarah, who you want to hang out with. Yeah. Like I can't wait to go back and work on issue three because I'm so excited to you know hang out with them again. You know, and I know that when the series is done, I'm going to miss them. Yeah. You know, like yeah. as if they're real people. So I'm I'm super excited and thrilled. And that's why, you know, I want to go through the trouble of doing a Kickstarter because uh, I want to share my excitement and share the story because I think it's really worth telling. And we'll have a link to the Kickstarter in the show notes. The uh, the Kickstarter, again, for let's, uh, for those people who might be watching or who are listening on the KTRS and the Big 550, Maybe you're not familiar with the Kickstarter. Some people hear these phrases for the first time. So the Kickstarter is basically it's an online thing where uh, Jim says, this is the project I'm going to do, and people pledge money to help him complete it. And there's perks along the way, too. So talk a little bit about, because you've obviously, Joey and I were talking before you got here, you're like a Kickstarter pro at this point. So talk a little <laughs> bit about how your mindset going into this one, did you kind of already know the perks? Did the perks kind of have, are they kind of building themselves as you're going along? So you have to hit the stretch goals and everything. So for our listeners, talk a little bit about the Kickstarter itself. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure if I would call myself a Kickstarter pro because I, every time you do one, it almost feels like you're starting over again because mm-hmm. you're starting at zero. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you had to really work to get people, you know, uh, excited about the project and get the, in front of them so they can have a chance to see it. And so it, it's always a challenge. Um, as far as the perks, when I do perks for a Kickstarter, um, I try to think about things that I like as a fan. You know what I mean? Like, I think getting prints are really cool. Yeah. Um, I think I love, like, the big buttons. So we have those. I know that when people walk around at a convention, they they always need tote bags. So we for this one, we have an Atomabelle uh, tote bag. Nice. You know, uh, we have a really cool uh, heavy metal style, uh, the Atomabelle T-shirt with the uh, the Sovereign Witch's uh, skull mask on mm-hmm. there. Um, so just fun stuff like that. I, I always try, when it comes to... Um, like the merch stuff that you get when you back the Kickstarter, my mind almost always goes back to being a teenager and what I think is cool. Right. Because generally speaking, that's still what I think is cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So it's really, it's easy to get, you know, as serious and, and there's, you know, the Atomic Bell has a lot of levity to it, which is really comes from the three main characters. You know what I mean? But when it comes to the merch, that's something you can really have fun with um, that's not, attached to the story itself you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's more to do with imagery and aesthetics and things like that so uh and i do want to say too when you you know people who back a kickstarter you're not just like donating money you're actually buying exactly. the book you're either buying a single issue you're buying four issues uh sometimes like one level will have the four issues a t-shirt and a sticker and a button um and a bookmark there's you know different levels get you different things so 
um, you're actually you're buying something in advance and you'll be getting it before anybody else. And that's really the fun of Kickstarter. Um, I back Kickstarters, and, and one reason I do it is because you always can get stuff that is not available anywhere else. Exactly right. Um, we actually, all the people that back our Kickstarter for the Atonement Bell, there's a exclusive issue number one cover mm-hmm. variant that only Kickstarter backers will get. And it's done by a, a new artist named Michael Hedledge. I'm probably butchering his name <laughs> because I've got the memory span of a gnat when I'm on the spot. But um, it's a really great, I sent you a, a copy of that as well. Okay. And uh, yeah, so you get exclusive stuff that you can't get in a store at a convention anywhere else. Um, and at the end of the day, the most important thing is that you get a really, really cool, fun, creepy horror story. Yeah. I'm so proud of it. Yeah, and the variant covers that you had me right there because that's yeah, I'm a sucker for variant covers. Because I think when when last time you guys did the Butcher Queen, I I think that was the one I signed up for. I'm like, oh, variant covers. And I think I end up signing in at that tier there. Yeah. If you if there's any you're missing, by the way, let me know. Okay. I, and I'll hook you up. I would. <laughs> and again, uh, the Kickstarter is going through the end of August, correct? Um, I I believe September 9th. Oh, September 9th. Okay, is so the last day because we started time. August 10th, I think. So okay, and there's still uh, you're 53 percent, so you're already over halfway there in less than a week, which is fantastic. It's so nice, but I mean, it, like I said, when you do a Kickstarter, and I always tell people who ask me about Kickstarters, you know what what it's like doing one, and I always say that you know. You live it every day. You're out talking about it, and it's just something you cannot get up on or get discouraged about. And you can't just stay online doing things. You've got to go out to the real world and talk to people and engage with people on a real-world level, you know. And that, that helps greatly. That's always helped us with, you know, Kickstarters and stuff, so... And we're talking with Jim Oosley. A little bit of time left here in the hour. We're going to take our very last commercial break, though. We're going to come right back, and we're going to chat more with him about the atonement bell. Again, the KTRS text lines are 84126. KTRS phone lines 314-931-5877. If you're an aspiring writer and would like to pick Jim's brain, you can feel free to call or text us. We're going to take this commercial break. Come right back after this, so please stand by. Hey, this is Dave Desmalchin. You're listening to Geek to Me Radio. You may have just seen David Desmalchin in The Suicide Squad uh, out in theaters right now. Again, Marcus Theaters is a great place to see it if I had to recommend a place. Um, with uh, He just had a Count Crowley horror series David Desmalchin did through Dark Horse, I believe. Oh. Um, I was going to ask you, because I know with The Butcher Queen, you were with Red 5, uh, doing the Kickstarter for this, though, is there an advantage to doing the Kickstarter? Like, do you? It's not that you're retaining more personal control versus working with a company like Red Five, but talk a little bit about the difference. Well, actually, the first two Butcher Queen series both had Kickstarters mm-hmm. and both were uh, published by Red Five, and uh, the Atonement Bell is actually going to be published by by Red Five, um, and a lot of uh, indie publishers, the, the smaller publishers who aren't the big two, mm-hmm. basically. Um, are doing this a lot more, where a writer has a concept, uh, we do a Kickstarter for it, so we get the artist that we want, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah, it, it really is more about a um, having control over what you envision it to be, you know, like uh, Raymond Estrada has a uh, series coming out through Red Five called The Box with Joshua Starnes, who's a writer and the publisher, one of the two publishers of Red Five, oh, wow. and uh, that's how I first saw his artwork. And I told Josh, I was like, oh, my God, 
this guy is amazing. You know, I, I'm writing this horror series, and he would be so perfect for it. I mean, like, literally, his artwork is what I envisioned for it, you know? And um, so, yeah, that's what the Kickstarter is for, essentially, is to pay him, uh, pay the artists, you know, ahead of time for their work, and then be able to fully uh, bring your own vision into reality, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And so that's that's the advantage of it. And it really is worth the work, yeah. you know? Um, I eventually get paid, like, on the back end, but um, I, you know... The work is its own reward. Yeah, you know sure. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's my big thing. Uh, no matter what happens, I love doing the work and I love people reading it and, you know, giving people something to enjoy like you do with your radio show. I mean, that's really a gift to be able to do that. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, I, I've my goal in life is that when I die, I want to leave behind as many as much cool, fun stuff as I possibly can. And I, I really mean that. Yeah. You know, and so that's why I, I do this stuff. And uh it's it's always worth the work because the work is rewarding and fun. And then Red Vive, obviously, I know I've been to comic book stores and seen Red Vive's titles on the shelf and everything. So, But again, as you mentioned, the Kickstarter will be stuff that some of the stuff will be exclusive through the Kickstarter. Even if you go to the comic book store and see the stuff from Red Vive, you won't be able to get some of the stuff that you guys have. So, again, that's another perk of doing the Kickstarter oh, yeah. for people who want to back the project. Yeah, and actually, uh, the, the folks doing the prints are amazing. There's an artist named Steens who's actually a, a St. Louis-based artist, hmm. but she's a, uh, um, is she an Eisner winner? I forgot. Oh, wow. But um, she did a book called Archival Quality, which was a, a ghost story, and it won a lot of uh, awards. She uh, also does a syndicated uh, strip um, in newspapers across the country. Uh, but anyway, she's a, she's an incredible artist. Uh, people in St. Louis call her, and elsewhere around the country, call her the queen of comics. Oh, really? Uh, wow. She's, yeah, she's incredible. Huh. Uh, there's also uh, Christian uh, Misi, who goes by the name of Misimo. Uh, he did a print for uh, the campaign, which is incredible, and obviously the exclusive cover. Yeah. So yeah, there's plenty of things that are exclusive that you cannot get anywhere else except by backing this campaign. And I know for free comic book day, uh, I was moved from May got pushed back till just this past Saturday because of COVID and everything like that. And you were at a place, you were doing some signings and things like that. Talk a little bit about your time at, uh, was it All-American? Yeah, All-American Collectibles slash Moe's Comics. Uh, it's it's a really, it's almost like the a big secret in St. Louis. It's a popular big secret, I guess, you know. Uh, they've got, a, it's a great comic shop. They've got tons of like really vintage old back issues uh, and you could spend hours in there just exploring. I mean, it really is a cool place. But yeah, I was there um, signing in for a free comic book day. And uh, I was there with Lorenzo Lozana and um, Tyler Ruff. Or Tyler Ryder? Ruff. Tyler Ruff. I just met him yesterday. Okay. For the first time, <laughs> so I don't know. But we had a really good time. And uh, Inca Drink Comics, which is the, uh, the group in St. Louis where I, I kind of started at, they had a free comic book day issue uh, that I wrote a story in. Oh, neat. Um, whenever they have free comic book day, I write this all-ages uh, series called Wolf Bob and Friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was Wolf Bob and Friends. That's what fiends are for. <laughs> and it's a, it's this little short story about um, inclusion and uh, kindness. And I'm really happy with it and putting it out there. I actually did it with artist uh, Mags Thurston. Okay. So uh, you get to hang out with Lorenzo for the day too, which is always fun because he's a very talented guy as well. Oh, he's great! I've known him for years and years. I actually met him 
over 15 years ago, wow. uh, working on Hooch and Daddy of the indie film yeah, that we okay, did, yeah. he designed the animated uh, sequence nice. and did all the, the drawing for that, all the artwork and stuff. So I've known him for years and years, and yeah, he's great, and he's funny, and uh, you cannot turn him off. I mean, he's like <laughs> the Energizer Bunny. He's been wound up in the morning, and he's going all day. I and, cannot keep up. And uh, yeah, and, and again, if you want to support this Kickstarter, I've, I've worked with Jim before, and I know he's got some very quality stuff. Um, if people want to keep up with you and see like some of your other stuff too, tell people uh, social media handles, websites, and where the best place is for them to go for the Kickstarter. Yeah, um, you go on Kickstarter.com, and you can um, uh, just search for the Atonement Bell, and you can find it there. Um, you can look for Atonement Bell on uh, Twitter, at Atonement Bell. Um, Facebook and Instagram as well. Um, I'm on Twitter at Jim Oosley, um, and you can see all my links there. And if you want to buy any of the Butcher Queen series, the first series, individual issues, or Butcher Queen Planet of the Dead individual issues, you can buy them at red5comics.com at their web store. And uh, the first series is actually collected in a volume one tray called uh, Butcher Queen Black Star City. And you can buy that at red5comics.com as well. Cool. And, uh, yeah, these these indie comic books, some of the stuff there is going out is just better than some of the stuff at the big two. So if you're feeling – I've talked to people who are like, I'm kind of disenchanted. Marvel and DC just aren't – some of this stuff, like the stuff Jim Usley's doing, Red 5 Comics, some of these indie creators are just fantastic, and it's well above and beyond. And if you're looking for something new – I'd recommend just going through Jim Oosley stuff alone would keep you busy for at least a couple of weeks going between yeah, Rough and Tumble you, and uh, <laughs> all the other stuff you've got out. And again, Dead Palace it remains one of my favorites because I'm a horror guy too. Thank you. That that's actually that that book really means a lot to me. I I always wanted to do a horror anthology, and I was always I always wanted a horror anthology that had lots of different types of horror in it: sci-fi horror, you know, this this this, and you know, uh, folk horror, and it had all that kind of stuff. So I was yeah. happy. Absolutely, and you should be proud, too. Very good stuff. Thank you. Uh, we've hit the end of the hour already. This is kind of hard to believe. Uh, thanks again, of course, to Tracy Birdsall for her time and giving me the interview. Thanks to Jim Oosley for coming in studio and hanging out with me and talking about uh, the Atonement Bell. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, and thanks to Joey V for always making the show sound as good as it does. Online, we'll be dropping our 250th episode later this week. George Newburn, Marie Canales Barrera, Kathy Garber, and Robert Costanza will all make appearances. We'll have interviews with all four of those great actors and voice actors. Uh, if you want to send me an email, geek2radio at gmail.com. Until next week, my friends. It's not in the way you play Mario Kart. St. Louis City, good night. Hey kids, are your parents about to buy you a shiny new toy from Amazon? Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? Well, don't be selfish. Share some of that money with us. Before going on Amazon, make sure to type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. It will look just like Amazon.com, except it'll say Referral geek to me Radio up top. And then when you check out, a tiny percentage will go to support the show without costing you one cent more. 
So before your parents get you that gizmo, gadget, or widget, make sure they type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. Bit.ly slash geek to me. Bit.ly slash geek to me.